Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, Jordan with the Startup to Scale podcast here and excited for today's guest, Brad Evanhoe, who is the CEO of Accountfully. And we're going to be talking about what it takes to be successful as a CPG brand, especially from the lens of finance, accounting, and making sure you have enough money and best practices for your business to survive. So, Brad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, really looking forward to the chat today. So I know I gave a quick intro, but we'd love to you for you just to give a 30-second overview of what Accountfully is and the work that you do. Yeah, Accountfully is basically an outsourced accounting department for small businesses. Uh, we have a huge niche of clients that are in the CPG space where I would say from zero to $3 million is a, a huge uh, aspect of, of, of those brands where we basically come in and uh, become your accounting department, which essentially means we are your bookkeeper, controller, and and kind of CFO advisor for your business. Um, and uh, we can help uh, implement, you know, workflow bookkeeping processes, um, monthly financial reporting, and, and help you, you know, drive you moving forward from an accounting bookkeeping perspective. One thing I love about kind of finance and accounting is that it really gives you an honest view of the business, right? Like when you have full access to the numbers, there's only so much you can BS in terms of like, oh, we have this really great opportunity. The business is growing. When you actually can dive into the numbers, you can see where the money's coming in and where it's going and you get a real view. So let's maybe start off with um, some of the areas that you see are challenging businesses that you're working with. Um, What are some of those biggest things that they're encountering? So I think... um... You know, I, I think step one, or I got a couple of responses. Number one is like when a lot of clients come to us, they don't really have their, I would say their uh, accounting for inventory and, and cost of goods sold properly and accurately, right? Really understanding your unit economics, not from purely like putting on a spreadsheet, but how it really flows through your P&L, including revenues, discounts, uh, deductions, chargebacks, right? Uh, COGS, uh, selling fees at Amazon, right? So not just purely your gross margin, but factoring in all those items that come into play where, so I think that's step one from a business as an inventory-based company is really understanding your economics, including everything else that kind of goes into your revenues, COGS, fulfillment, advertising, et cetera. Um, I think number two, super kind of, I think, uh, relevant to our times right now with kind of the economy and what's going on is, and and this is always, you know, cash is king, right? But I feel like it's more intensive right now um, from what I see from various clients and and, and the small brands. I feel like the, um, you know, capital debt markets are kind of drying up versus where they were in years past. And so uh, a lot of clients I see are struggling with cash and even going out of business this year versus prior years, specifically in the, the CPG space. So with that, Having your pulse on cash flow, not just basically what's in your bank today, but what's short-term cash the next four to eight weeks. Additionally, what does cash look like the next six to nine to twelve months? Right. So, so keeping tabs on that week over week and, and and mentally understanding where you're going with that aspect. So, I would say those two things, kind of from an inventory perspective, cash and kind of margins. Right. Really, is the name of the game from a um, you know CPG space. Now, you price these a lot, but I will share with our listeners, right, an honest truth about CPG brands, and I experienced this with my own brand, 
is that a lot of founders don't like accounting because it reveals the holes in their business and it can look bleak. When you put the numbers in and you're like, oh shit, my cogs are much higher than they thought they were. My inventory, I have a lot more on hand and it's taking a lot longer to get paid. Like this makes it look like I'm going to run out of money in five months. And a lot of times it does, right? Like <laughs> the truth. And so a lot of founders don't want to know the reality because it'll scare the shit out of them. Yeah, no, I, I think that's completely truthful. I think, you know, you, I, I've seen a lot of brands where they, like the, the revenue and top line is growing very exponentially and kind of, you know, up the curve, you're like, holy cow, your business must be great. But once you look at kind of cash flow margins, it's not the case. You know why? Because they're sitting there spending six figures on advertising and paid social to get the, uh, uh, you know, revenue up while discounting a ton of, uh, of their sales. So after you look at your fully loaded, what's gross revenue, what's discounts, What's my margins? What is it after advertising, fulfillment, et cetera? It's uh, negative. It's, a, it's in the red, right? Yeah. But like, like look at that aspect. So you can you can portray this situation of, uh, you know, everything's great, I'm growing, but really it does kind of really like pull back the curtains, like, wait, what's going on? And sometimes there's a little bit of hesitation. And and it, like, you know, when I was in college and I really like took my first like accounting class, I was like, wow, this makes sense to me just in terms of how my brain works. It's, it's funny when you get people who are like, wait, this isn't right. This isn't what's going on. And we're like, dude, we've reconciled everything. This is the numbers. We've taken the numbers from Amazon, Shopify, your inventory accounts, your balance sheet, your line of credit, your banks, your credit cards. This is what's going on. And I'm telling you right now, this is what's going on. So you get that aspect and that fight back when, when the actual true, true situation story comes to play. You know, it reminds me of someone had an insert, uh, a LinkedIn post the other day. There's like, what's the quickest way that you can make $2 million with your business? And I told him, spend $3 million on advertising and then go out of (laughs) (laughs) So many brands are doing that. So true. And it's like, that's where like you, you know, one of the big things that we do is is we're taking your, your inflows, right? Your credit card deposits from Amazon, Shopify, right? Money comes in. Some people come to us and they just put it in that to top line revenue. Here's our revenues. Here's our revenues. No, but you need to factor in. What's the gross? What's the credit card fees? What's the Amazon fulfillment fees? What's all that stuff? Some of these these sites also, you have a loan that's kind of paying back a loan over time, right? So like there's so much nuts and bolts and things that go into everything that basically once you see that full picture, it's kind of eye-opening versus just like, nope, top line's growing, top line's growing. And 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 that's kind of the, the facetious world that a lot of folks, you know, live in um, before they kind of get to a more professional, uh, you know, accounting experience. I want to go back on one area that, most brands I meet um, make mistaken. And that is incorrectly accounting for inventory and COGS on their PL and balance sheet. And just as a personal example, when I was running my brand, we would put all of our um, COG expenses in terms of packaging and ingredients straight to the PL as an expense versus putting it on a balance sheet. Um, and when we were smaller, you know, it was like not as big of a deal because we were turning through inventory fairly quickly. Um, but it was an incorrect way of viewing the business and created more problems later. So talk to me about, I'm sure a lot of brands come to you in a similar situation. Um, how do you kind of explain how to go about that process of accurately accounting for inventory and why it's important? 
Yeah, and I, I would say that's probably the biggest mistake from inventory-based businesses, um, from prior bookkeepers or accountants, or when they do it, they exactly plug right the, the expense or the cash outlay right to COGS. And so your margins are like this. And it's really hard to run your business. I understand that. So basically kind of um, how you should operate or what you should do from an uh, you know inventory perspective is from a, a inventory, you're able to get... Um, um, uh, through kind of walking through your supply chain, really the, the biggest goal, number one, is, is to identify what your line of cost of all your SKUs are, right? Your finished SKUs, your finished goods that you're selling. Raw materials, packaging, freight, duties, home man, tolling, labor, whatever it is that come into play, right? Get a spreadsheet together, add that all up, right? That's your line of cost. And it's an average cost ready in the warehouse to be sold to your customers, right? So basically, once you figure out all those inputs, all those inputs, when you pay for them, they should go to the balance sheet in an inventory account, right? So they're sitting there ready to be sold. Then what happens is when you have that dollar amount of your average cost or standard cost per SKU, then when you sell it, then you're able to say, okay, I sold a hundred of these this month times it by the standard cost of $5, whatever, and then that's your cost to get sold. So then you're able to kind of see what your margins on are based upon your sales, right? Um, so it, it's the matching experience that comes into play. And what you're focusing on, on the COGS portion is not, a percentage of revenue, which you need to focus on is what are the quantity of products that I sold that month, right? Because if you discounted a lot, your margin should be lower, but it still should be in a similar number, right? So that's kind of the basics of it. And then what you do is you take a, a account each month or valuation uh, of everything you have on hand and you reconcile that to the balance sheet. So that's kind of how you do it manually. Balance sheet to COG once it's sold and the balance sheet check monthly or quarterly. That's manually, right? There's inventory systems like Deer, Spin7, or things like that that kind of do it more real time to help facilitate that. But at a high level, you should not um, really be posting your COGS directly to your PL because that's going to affect your margins. And literally, when you go to an investor to raise money, they're going to be like, well, what is this right here? And why don't you have inventory on the balance sheet? So it's kind of a red flag um, from somebody. Yeah. And that's a good point because a lot of times when there's like a solopreneur or a small team, they're just doing their books themselves or with a, a bookkeeper. It doesn't, they don't see the effects of incorrectly managing that, but it's when you go to an investor to raise money or when you go to a bank to get a loan or some of these new kind of modern lending applications, it's really making sure they have a clear picture of your business and that is correct. And beyond just the accuracy, it helps to show if you're a professional organization or not. Because if yeah. you can't manage the money that you have, how are you going to manage someone else's money? Yep. Yeah. And I, I always kind of go back to when COVID hit, you know, initially, and then all these PPP loans come out and everything like in order to get that information, you need your financials done, updated, you need your tax returns done, things like that. So the folks that had that were able to turn really quickly. The folks that didn't have that, that put together started screaming at you telling, hey, account for the, can you do this? Or, hey, bookkeeper, can you do that? Or whatever. And they would send information to the banks. They'd have a lot of questions and follow-up. So it's just like that as well of like an unforeseen event like there, uh, like that. But if you have your ducks in a row and your financials updated and, and return packs is done, you're easier to pivot in that situation. Um, but on top of that, like then you actually have good data to present to investors or, or you know, different uh, banks or underwriters or whatever you're dealing with. We talked about COGS a little bit in terms of, um, using those to calculate your margins and then eventually translating those over to the PL. But in a simpler way, is there a easier way of understanding your COGS um, in, as a 
as a point in time versus a ongoing set of cogs. You know, like a lot of times people will sit down, look at one month or three months worth of purchases and then kind of create a, a product cost, cost sheet and margin. But as you know, with all the supply chain, uh, supply chain challenges now, um, costs are changing kind of wildly every week to every month. Is there kind of a better way of, of keeping track of those changes? Yeah, so that's where, um, you know, from a, a small brand, you don't have a ton of typically a ton of resources, i.e. time, money, labor to spend on like really deep diving this consistently or proactively, like manually, right? So a lot of the brands that we have um, that we work with, we, we do the manual process, like I was mentioning, when you walk through the, the supply chain inventory at the land of costs. Um, when you do that, if there's a lot of dynamic or changing prices or, or things like that, that, that the pricing or the costs that are dynamic or change, that'll impact how often you need to update it. So you may need to update it quarterly because things are changing quarterly or you're buying nuts and, and you buy nuts every quarter and there's huge swings. So maybe every quarter you update it and then you get to a point of kind of a good middle ground, right? Um, when you're doing that and you're using the cost and then you're backing into the inventory, what happens when you're doing it manually when you do an inventory adjustment from what's in the balance sheet versus what's on hand using the cost you have, there's going to flush through and the inventory is going to be adjusted to COGS anyway. So it's your net going to be at the same amount at the same time, really is the function of how you're doing that. I would recommend if you do have a lot of prices that fluctuate, um, costs that fluctuate, if you do have a lot of landed costs that it's hard to kind of allocate freight duties, bringing over shipping containers, things like that, where you, you huge material impacts on your uh, cogs, that's when it's probably more preferable to implement some sort of inventory system. Because then when you do that properly, it allocates those costs to those specific POs, those specific receipts. So you have real time landed data that varies by product, which is actually really good for the sake of, uh, you know, having much more precision on your cogs and, and helps you make better decisions. So, like, for example, you, you know, whatever you bring in um, olives over from Italy or something right and, and a, a container <clears throat> and they're coming over and it takes six weeks or whatever. And there's this cost that you're paying. But then all of a sudden you have to uh, fly or uh, overnight, like or not overnight, but just you know via a plane, um, in order over to to, to fulfill a, a, a PO that you got from Walmart or whatever, right? That change in cost is going to be such a huge variable thing that if you just do it for that price or that PO manually, it's going to be a, a dr dramatic change from the books, and it may not when you do it manually, it may not properly allocated to it. But if you do that through like an inventory system and you allocate that to that PO, then that will show that that batch you received is a higher cost than the other. So automation versus manual comes down at the end of the day of how precise you want it to be and how much time and energy you really have um, to do this. Um, and it all kind of goes down to cost as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And it's hard to it's hard to be perfect, but you want to kind of get as as good of a picture as you need to to properly run your business. Um, Definitely. So let's talk about distributor deductions and chargebacks. So I know working with CPG brands, that's a huge issue that they're dealing with. Um, I've once had a, a distributor and a retailer kind of partner that after over, I think, six months, they charged us back 30% of everything that we sold them. And it took us like five or six months to actually realize that. And there's a huge material cost in the business. Um, so how are you kind of helping brands deal with, uh, with these chargebacks? Yeah, I think number one, um, in terms of just the brands dealing with chargebacks, you know, I, I think the step one in this is 
the brand owner and, and the person agreeing to the contracts and distribution or distributor relationships need to understand what what they're paying for basically and it, it's very confusing convoluted you know leveraging resources like food baby uh, slack and things like that people can help you just up front and walk through that and people that have had experiences like jordan like leverage that because before, once you sign the document it's a different conversation after just pure execution then they have to buy by the contract number two is when you sell understand to your point kind of your short to long-term cash flow impact you know how many free fills uh upfront uh slotting fees are you paying for if so when does that will get will that get realized in the first couple of POs? Will it get realized over the next six months? When will you actually make money or get paid from Unified KE, et cetera? Right. So just understanding that aspect. We once had a client that I think paid six figure had a PO for six figures <clears throat> from one of the distributors and literally never got paid, never got paid, never got paid. And this was three, four years ago. And all of a sudden, finally, like one time we got a, a paperwork from them and they essentially had agreed to like free fills. Um they had a con uh they agree to free fills in like every store nationally um, through this distributor. And so if you just do the math on the number of stores that they were working through this, literally it was like a, almost a six figure deduction. And so they didn't get paid for like a year. And it was like, they were very frustrated by, by it, but we weren't even engaged at that level of detail to help them. And finally we saw the paperwork, we're like, well, you did this. And they're like, well, you need to help me. And I'm like, I didn't sign the contract. Like, I don't, you know, so it's again, understanding what you're paying for, um, and understanding cash flows and you know the next thing there. The last thing I would say is really where us helping from an accounting bookkeeping perspective is understanding your net revenues, understanding kind of what your realized number you're going to get. Fifty thousand dollars in AR. Does that mean thirty? Does that mean forty? You're going to need to work with us on that to make sure we understand that. Unless you get down to like a, our deductions management service, right, where we can actually go through and help advise and track and review and approve deductions. So I would say upfront, get that advice and support. Afterwards, make sure you're reviewing and approving every deduction going forward. Understanding what you're paying for, that's going to help make your short-term cash impact the least. You can dispute anything that are, you know, fraud or not fraud, but just invalid. But also that'll help you make decisions in these relationships longer term because you see the impact, you understand what you're getting charged. Because at the end of the day, you get these things in buckets and it can be really hard to understand what they even mean. And it impacts your unit economics. So if you really understand the details of all this stuff, when you're going to negotiate with buyers or things like that, it can you can really have big percentage swings, a point or two that really mean a lot in the long term because you know how to negotiate, you know what the the, the ROI is on these specific deductions and things like that. I think those are all key and, and you're right. Like there's a lot of things as a new brand that you can't, cannot negotiate on the distributor agreements, but then there's a lot of things like the example you gave with the fee for free fills that you can. And actually I filled out the paperwork for like Unify and Kehi, you know, they'll usually just have a checkbox. It's like allow for free fills, check. Or it's like, you know, request permission for free fills, check that box, right? It's a very subtle language, but it could be a $100,000 plus cost if you don't actually know what you're signing or what you're signing up for. Correct. If you're going to 10 stores, it's much different. If you're going national, like it can be a huge detriment on your business, which, which is just unfortunate. So, yeah. And so anyone doing through that paperwork, always, always, always select approved free fills yourself because that way you can still do them, but they won't happen automatically. Yeah, uh, Brett, I'd love to kind of wrap up talking about some of the financial implications of the current environment that we're going through from investors tightening up on funds and fundraising um, all the way to like these new sources of, of fundraising from like crowdfunding and, and equity crowdfunding, things like that. Like, how are you seeing changes in the 
landscape for financing um, this year? Yeah, it's interesting because like, even if you look at like the last 24 months, or let's even go back to like 2020 with COVID, right? Like I feel like EIDL, PPP loans have really helped propel and sustain some of the brands that would have went out of business two years ago in actually 18 to 24 months. So I think we're, we're, we're seeing that now, right? Hey, take this money, do this, take this loan. And it helped our clients kind of move forward in that direction. Number two, then you've had all these cash flow loan, um, you know, PayPal, Shopify, uh, Amex, uh, ClearBank, all these things that kind of come through at, at a cash flow loan perspective, which have, have been very easy to be easily accessed uh, financial or money um, by a couple of clicks of the button, right? The percentage is really high. But in terms of how you run your business, debt financing may be cheaper than equity, right? And it's quick and easy to, to help facilitate that. Um, and then you had the crowdfunding situation with startup engine or start engine and, and those uh, of the like that you've, you've seen that kind of come through for all that. So it has been a really ever-changing landscape the last two years with all these items. But now I've seen the last kind of six months with kind of the economy um, kind of dwindling down from just, you know, global impacts, everything going on that, that we see, inflation, all this stuff going on. It's such a crazy time. And, and so for a lot of our brands, we've seen kind of a couple of things, right? Younger brands that maybe newer that aren't raising money as fast as they could, like I think a couple of years ago from angel investors, from friends and family, because those folks just aren't throwing, giving you 50 grand up front than like they were, you were two or three years ago when, when the economy was much better, right? Um, additionally, same thing, you know, um, tightening down on, um, um, uh, you know, VCP markets, things like that as well. And you got you to factor in, just look at the interest rates, right? Like, hey, raise mortgage payments higher, or, or if you're going to go buy a house, it could be higher. Those types of things that are just impacting everybody's decision-making right now, the stock market being low, right? Like I'm going to save and hold my money a little bit. So those things have really dried up a lot of that kind of, I think, friends and family angel round money that people were using. And on top of that, it's just harder to get, you know, money from a debt perspective now than, than there was, because a lot of these folks are now doing the same thing. So, um, you know, I think from my perspective, I've seen more people go out of business this year than before, because I think number one, they probably would have went out of business a couple of years ago, COVID, PPP, EIDLs, you know, didn't really help propel them another year, 18 months, just with extra funding and stuff. And number two, um, with the economy we have. So I think it comes down to like, cash management, man, it's really cash management, understanding your business, understanding your books. I mean, I had on our podcast, I don't know, three, four or five months ago, I had a, had a brand that I was chatting with and I was like, what do you look for in KPIs? And they're like, oh, EBITDA. So like actual earnings and profits of the business. And I'm like, holy cow, I haven't heard that from like an inventory-based company, you know, <laughs> that's below $2 million in like five years where it's yeah. like top line growth, top line growth, top line growth, you know, and then raise more money, top line growth, raise more money. So I think there's this perspective switch now of like, Yes, you can keep doing that, but you have to be very conscious of cash. You have to understand where your reserves are, who you can reach out to when you need help. But also, like, it's going to get to the point at some point, it's about profitability. Like, in, 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 in understanding, getting to that point or getting close to that point or getting closer to that point, that's where I think those investors at some, you know, will always kind of help you when they see that this is, it looks like more of a sustainable brand versus this brand that's just trying to grow in the next two or three years and sell. And, and at that point, they may go under if, if nothing ever happened. You know, that's a good point. And our listeners will know I've been talking about this a lot, which is how do you build a, or well, I should say, I encourage founders to build what I call a financially sustainable business first as quickly as possible before figuring out how to scale. And so many founders and myself included at the time uh, when I was running my CBG brand, like did not build a stable foundation. And when things like funding or other things dried up, um, it put us into a lot of hardship. So are you seeing 
are you seeing more brands taking that approach of saying like, hey, how can I get to break even or how can I build like a strong financial foundation now as a compared to before? Yeah, I, I think I think the newer brands are because they're like, okay, this is harder than I thought of getting money, right? Let's just say, for example, okay, well, we'll, we'll get into the fundamentals, like understanding your unit economics, understanding your overhead, understanding your margins, understanding that aspect, right? Like running an inventory-based business is much harder upfront than like a service-based business. So there is definitely more capital that comes into play, but it does not mean you have to take that capital and run out of it in six months, right? It's like, how do I leverage that capital? How do I become very, you know, efficient on, on the ROI of those funds and, and, and return money and grow top line. And that's where it comes into play of understanding, you know, getting out and, and, and selling on your own, being yourself, you know, get knocking on doors, figuring out e-com, you know, situation, building communities, building, um, you know, uh, subscriptions, like, you know, there's so many different sales channels right now that exist, you know, you don't need to be in all, all of them, but maybe, there's certain ones that really vibe with you or your brand or whatever. And so understanding that and, and, and tackling and really executing at a high level that sets yourselves up, you know, much better in the future. So, um, um, yeah, it's, I, I think getting back to the fundamentals makes a lot more sense. And I, I see a lot more folks doing that these days versus just trying to grow top line and I'll raise money, you know, when I need it, which I just don't think it's as, it's as sustainable as it used to be. Yep. I love that. And for all the brands listening to this, if you can build that baseline, it still means you can raise money later um, to grow, but at least you have that solid foundation to, to follow back on. Yeah, absolutely. You can always, you can always ask for money. And I think if you have a, a great foundation, like there, people will give you more money, right? Easier versus otherwise. So. Exactly. Brett, thanks so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Jordan, really appreciate that as well. And uh, thanks for everything you do with uh, within Food Baby and the CBG community. Of course, anyone listening in, I'll drop more info on Brad and Account Fleet in the show notes. So you can definitely take a look. If you need help with financing and accounting, um, definitely talk to Brad and see how they can help.